Welcome to the Atypical Rainbow. I'm Paul. And I'm Grant. And welcome to another episode in Spectrum Analysis. Today's episode is called Gaming, Where Life Follows the Rules. So, Grant and I are both avid gamers. Grant's more of a Japanese role-playing game kind of person, whereas I am a random, colourful, hacky-slashy kind of guy. But or also- as I call it, impossible to buy for. <laughs> But we're also big fans of Pokemon. So, interesting tidbit for those who don't know. The creator of Pokemon, whose name I should have researched before the start of this episode. I think his name is Satoshi something. I may even look this up while we're talking. Has autism. And so, the basis for creating autism was he wanted to create a game uh, to mimic bird watching. Was it bird watching? No, bug bug collecting. Bug collecting. Because bug collecting is a big thing in um, Japan. Yeah, and so it sort of uh, got me thinking about the relationship between gaming screens and autism in general. So, the, the where the title comes from is, for me, the reason why I really like gaming is that it actually makes me feel calmer. Uh, obviously, it depends on the games you choose. You know, if you're going to play some sort of zombie game, that probably isn't going to make you particularly calm. But why I like gaming particularly is because... It is a situation in which you are in complete control, which life, you're never in complete control. In a game, you get to choose exactly what you do, but the best part is if you get it wrong, you mo- in most situations, you get a redo, except maybe in Fire Emblem where there's permadeath. But in most situations, you get to do it all Well, you just again. turn the console off and then you get a redo. <laughs> yeah, soft reset. Um, so, yeah. So, and, so, I remember that, you know, in my... Oh, in my sort of mid-twenties, there was a game called Civilization. It was Civilization Revolution on the PS3, as opposed to the other ones, which are so unbelievably complicated to be unjoyable. Un- to, to the point where it's un- it was unenjoyable for me. And um, I remember that I always used to play it whenever I was feeling stressed, because it, I knew exactly what the rules were. I had a pattern, I had a scheme, I knew exactly what I needed to do, I knew exactly what my responses were going to be, because I was basically playing the same scenario over and over and over again and that made me feel calmer by being more in control and it is quite a common uh, stereotype that people with autism sort of favor or have a significant interest in games yes like I, I think that we both learned about the other one that if they suddenly played lots and lots and lots of games something might be wrong hmm um, like if you, yeah, if you were playing lots of Civilization Revolution, I knew that something was probably going wrong, which for you was most of the time. <laughs> yes, but <laughs> you I felt also, like something was going wrong. That's because I hadn't, I didn't have enough insight to realize that I'd chosen the wrong career, but you yes. know, I, I've got there now and I've stopped playing, you know, surprise, surprise. Yes. Also, I think you broke the PS3. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have mattered. I would have gone and bought a second hand one if I really, really needed to. That is true. Um, you'd go to the PS3 graveyard in our cupboard. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, like, obviously sometimes I just play games because they're really good um, and I'm really enjoying them. But sometimes I play games because I need to just be in a world where there are rules or that you can overcome an obstacle by just running around and leveling up to the point where it stops being an obstacle. Well, yeah, there's something you can't do in life. You can't just level up to get past, like, a bad teacher. <laughs> yeah. But also, there's a right answer. Like, that's the thing. So, in, in, in any given situation, there is a right answer about how to get past it. Sometimes you need a walkthrough. Sometimes you need a cheat code. But 
there is always a way to get past that. Otherwise, why would you create a game that has no end and has, you know, that you can't achieve everything? Well, I'm not sure if you really would, though. We recently watched a, a sitcom where they did invent a game that had no end. <laughs> <laughs> and I think my first thought was, why would you play that? <laughs> though, I guess there are, there are games with no end, but in a different way. Like, Minecraft has no end. Pac-Man has no end. A lot of the arcade games had no end. Mm. Um, Pac-Man, basically, if you get to a certain point, it just glitches out and you can't play anymore. (laughs) Um, I don't know if anyone did that organically or they created a computer program to play Pac-Man for long enough to see what would happen. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess there are other games like The Sims that have no end. Unless, well, unless accidentally all your Sims die. But once they added generations, unless your Sims didn't have children, then... That the game would continue forever. But I do think that there's sort of this contract with the creators of the game, unless they're imaginary ones in a sitcom, that there is a way to finish. Mm. There is a way... If they've, if they've given you something, you can overcome it, which is not true in life. Mm. Like, you can't just, yeah, overcome your job dissatisfaction by... Leveling up. No one's designed your life to be achievable. Mm. So I think that, yeah, so that's one of the things about games that can be very comforting to someone with autistic traits or autism is that there will be a way. There will be a way to overcome these things. And when you're coming up against a lot of problems in life because the world isn't very suited to you because of your autism, it can be nice for someone to give you an opportunity where you can succeed. Mm, uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely right. And, you know, we... Uh, I, I, don't, I, I wouldn't think we necessarily went out of our way to introduce gaming to our kids. I did. Yeah. Well, I, like, I, I, because I thought they'd enjoy it. Mm. Well, I guess technically you introduced Pokemon Go to try and help encourage them to walk to kindergarten. So was that where it started? Was it start earlier than that? Because I know there was there's a photo of Matt as a, a young baby sitting in front of a PS3 controller. He wasn't doing anything with it, of course, but... I'm trying to remember when it was they were introduced to Mario Kart. Because that was probably... The, that's the first time that they were kind of introduced to gaming and engaged. Because that was when me and my dad used to give them the like the empty Mario Kart steering wheels. Mm. And they'd just move around and pretend they were driving. Yeah. But the first time I really gave them the opportunity to um, truly play a game that wasn't Pokemon Go, because I can't work, I can't remember the timeline of this, mm. was I was playing Final Fantasy twelve, and I basically just gave them the controller and told them how to walk. And that's all I did, they just walked. Like, mm. they weren't playing the game as such, but just teaching them that they could, they could do something here, like, in the, like with the controller, and have control over the person on the screen. Mm. And they just had a great time just wandering around in circles in the desert. Um, Not even doing fights. And then the the first time that uh, Jake really probably engaged in a game with me was Prep. Mm. uh, Which is Tales of Besseria. I remember this. Because at the end of the battle, you'd get a number which was the total damage you'd done. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we got through the game, the total damage done would be higher. Like everything would have higher hit points, but we'd do more damage. Um, as opposed to games where defense and attack move up, so you're never doing huge amounts of damage. So he actually learned how to um, read like 
like five figure numbers when we were up to that. And then he learned six figure numbers because he wanted to know what the numbers were at the end of the battles. And he actually, so he learned place value in prep to quite a, like a high degree and impressed his teacher by playing the game and reading the total damages at the end of the fights, Mm. Um, which he really enjoyed though. Today I was showing him one of the characters in the game and he's like, has no memory of it, but he remembers the Island you could go to do the Colosseum, <laughs> but he doesn't remember any of the characters, even the ones he played at. He's like, who's that from my like background? I'm like, that's Maggie Lou from Tales of Becerra. Remember the one with Velvet? He's like, I know the name. I'm like, you remember the island? He's like, yeah, I remember the island where you fought everything, but he doesn't remember any of the characters you played at. <laughs> different, different impacts for different people, I guess. Um, and then in, I think it was also prep. So prep for their birthday, which is the middle of the year. Uh, I think we got them Pokemon but we told them that they could only get Pokemon if they read it because mm-hmm. it doesn't have voice acting. Yeah. So we basically said, we'll get you Pokemon in the middle of the year if you can prove that you can read it well enough to follow the storyline. And that was touch and go. Like sometimes they got very <laughs> confused. Um, but I think the, the thing was, because we hadn't played the same Pokemon as them, they'd ask us and we'd go, we don't know. Like, if you don't pay attention... We can't give you the answer because we're not there reading it. Mm. So it really, I think, encouraged them to make sure they read things. Um, both they brush up on their skill to read, but also pay attention to things. Yeah. Because it was actually quite a slow process to get us to look up a walkthrough online. Like, we'd, we'd find the answers for them, so they weren't stuck forever. Because that would have been probably quite a frustrating situation. Mm. Um, but... Yeah, they they kind of learnt to read properly so they could play Pokemon. So it was a good motivating tool. Yeah. Mm. So I, I've taught maths and English through games. Mm. And not through, like, necessarily educational games. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, But I guess part of it is also how you go about using it, and certainly the games that we select. Like, we'd never let the kids play anything violent or gory by any means. But that's the same for movies. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so we're, we're still very selective about what they do, but, you know, you want to try and, uh, at least we've certainly tried to, um, you know, take advantage of these things by emphasising the importance of learning how to read and learning how to comprehend mm-hmm. and, um, you know, cause and effect. And there's a lot of there's a lot of lessons, I think, we, we tried to sort of extrapolate from gaming. Yes, but also there is a level of sharing something you like. Yeah. Like, I think with movies, books, and games, I have shared what I like with the kids. Yeah, I, there was a there was a point um, a few years ago where the kids seemed to be very sporty in nature, and my first thought was, "God, I'm going to have nothing in common with them. I just have nothing to talk about." But luckily, they're still predominantly nerdy with a hint of sporty, and I'm like, "Okay, cool, all right, I can I can relate and I can associate on this level. That makes me feel better." It's probably helped during lockdown that you've been doing their sports with them. Yeah, helped and also probably harmed a little bit as well. Like, I think I'm, I'm a bit of a um, uh, Yelena Djokovic's father kind of coach. Not quite that intense, but still very, like, precision, precision, precision. Yeah, if, if any of them go Olympics, I'm going to be the coach, not you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I, I enjoy a bit of exercise, but 
And, and hilariously, Matt uh, recently started playing uh, badminton in his sporting, in his after-school sporting classes. And I'm like, oh, that's exciting, because I love badminton. Other sports, <laughs> but, you know, badminton, on board with. So, yeah, being able to, like, share your experiences with your kids and have them be receptive is really important. Like, it's quite a common trope and uh, for parents to want their kids to love the same things that they love. Uh, Which is why maybe those men took their children to Bunnings when they were babies. Ugh. To try to share Bunnings with them. Yes. Yes, most likely. An experience that I, I didn't share the same emotional value of. Uh, but, yeah, I get it. But So, I guess, in a way, we're just lucky. Whether or not it was the autism, whether it's not, you know, the fact that they just inherited some of our personality, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah. And you've recently shared Big Hero 6 with them. That's true. And that's gone really well. Yeah, and in, in and now this... we're sharing Avatar: The Last Airbender, and I think we're both very excited about being able to share that with the kids. Yes, but but and even that they're only sort of half concentrating on. I think they're getting into it. Like now, by the season, we're up to second season, and they they're getting a little bit more into it. I have to say, there was many episodes in the first season where I was the only one not staring at a second screen. <laughs> yes, also very true. <laughs> but the Big Hero Six was a funny transition because that didn't happen the way I thought it would. Because um, for those who don't know, Big Hero Six, it's about a a group of university students set in the fictional city of San Francisco. Uh, the main character builds a robot called Baymax, and together they end up uh, sort of fighting a crime, just because they could. It's that kind of um, superhero worship kind of attitude, but with technology and, and lots and lots of science and intelligence. But interestingly, I actually showed them that movie maybe a year a year or two ago, like uh, longer than I, than I think would necessarily quantify with how much they love it now. Um, and they just, they didn't get into it. They were both disinterested and also a little bit frightened because the, the the villain is has this, like, I think it's like a Japanese kabuki mask or something that is designed to be kind of frightening. They do frighten easily. Yeah, and so, so that part put them off. But then we were in um, Disneyland... Tokyo, and there was a Baymax toy that I actually wanted because I love Baymax and I love that movie. Um, and when purchased, the, ki- the kids had no interest in it. But then all of a sudden, Matt hugged Baymax, and the idea behind Baymax is that he's meant to be like a big marshmallow. He hugged him and then just immediately fell in love. Now Baymax goes with him everywhere, and that sort of started the love of the movie and the subsequent TV show, and basically any time that Big Hero 6 pops up on YouTube or in Kingdom Hearts 3, which I was playing for a while, there's all this excitement around it, so their entry, his, their entry point into it was really not very linear. Well, there's, there's a few things that kind of entered into through mobile games, because Bamax was also in my Disney mobile game that I was playing for a bit. Disney Heroes, yeah. Disney Heroes, I think it was, yeah. Mm. So there was, there was quite a few... They like they got interested in that game and they learned a lot of the Disney characters through that. I'm not sure how many they've retained, but the fact that Hero and Bamax were in that uh, and must have been around the same time, they, they got quite interested in that. Hmm. So I have this theory about the link between autism and gaming, and... I notice this comes up a lot for for a lot of my patients with autism, more so the ones with intellectual disability than without. A lot of them will tend to favour um, kids' programs. So they'll often, like the Wiggles and Tom Sankage, and even though they might be in their 30s or 40s chronologically. Yeah. My theory is that for people with autism, they 
often have a sensory needs. So they, it can be go both ways. So people can have, uh, you know, things that sensorily set them off and uh, are negative and some things are really positive. And there's something about certain kinds of gaming. And if you look at the Nintendo range particularly, like Pokemon, for example, there's a lot of colour, there's a lot of movement. And when you add in the whole rules and collecting thing, it really adds up to be a very autism-friendly game. I think numbers are very autistic-friendly. Yes, yeah. But, you know, I think it's it's why... At, at least I know. I, I really love a good cartoon, you know, and I'm in my 30s. Um, and... I, I love particularly bright neon cartoons. They're just there's something about it that just makes me happy. And don't get me wrong, there are probably probably plenty of people out there who don't have autism who love neon colors as well. But there, but for me, there's something that just pulls me towards it. Especially your new favorite cartoon. Oh, She-Ra and the Princesses of Power is amazing. And it's not even nostalgic because I never watched She-Ra as a kid. Like I was aware of her, but never watched as a kid. What's the it- nostalgia for He-Man? But then when I actually watched as an adult, I was like, this is not good. Yeah, I had... So we have season one. I've watched two episodes of it and never showed, never bothered showing it to the kids. I have that thing about Power Rangers. I loved Power Rangers as a kid. It was I, I, I love, um, like, uh, stylized martial arts violence. Love it. And, you know, lots of colour and robots. And it really ticks all my boxes. But I have watched, like, the season one of Power Rangers, you know, as an adult. And I go... Why? Why did I like this? I don't remember why I like this at all. It's so repetitive, and they're clearly not like the same. Pe- it's just yeah, it's just the same footage. And why are they out in the middle of the desert fighting when they started in a city? Like it just didn't make any sense at all. But uh, but yeah, that that's that's the thing. I think that there is a sensory component to gaming, and that's and because I often find that I I lean towards colorful games too. So Kingdom Hearts is one of my favorite gaming series. And don't get me wrong, a lot of people would say that it's a quite a well-built uh, and a well-interesting you know, interesting storyline kind of game. But for me, a lot of it is nostalgia and colour. Well, yeah, I think as a JRPG fan, a lot of JRPGs are nostalgia and colour. Mm. Um, the Western RPGs are not as much. Yeah. They're a lot more brown. <laughs> yes, indeed. Like, I don't get why the kids are into Minecraft. That that sort of goes beyond me. Well, Minecraft is basically like Lego. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do love the Lego series of games as well. That's also quite an excellent series. I made more real Lego than Lego games. <laughs> Either way, it's still Lego. But yes, the, Le- the Lego games are also excellent. All the Lego games are funny, very funny. Which, you know, a Lego set is not funny in itself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that requires imagination, which I do not have. Uh, but I do, you know, uh, there's one of the questions that often comes up when it comes to kids is screen time. And I understand the arguments mm-hmm. for it. I, I get concerned about the kids' posture. I, I watch them, you know, slouch on the couch as they're using their iPads. And I'm like, no, no, you've got to sit up or go to a chair. Um, but I, I also feel like gaming for them provides them with a lot. Like, and, and again, I, I feel that with gaming, it's also about how you use the gaming rather than whether or not gaming exists. Yeah, I think one of the other things with autistic children is that normal life can actually be very tiring. So an autistic kid going through a school day can actually end up using a lot more mental energy than a um, neurotypical uh, kid going through a school day. So sometimes... At the end of the day, it's okay that they are mentally exhausted. Mm. It's okay that they just want to watch YouTube. Because they've worked very hard to get through the day. Mm. 
And then, you know, th- that's that also tracks through the year as well. So consistently mm. for both Matt and Jake, as it gets to about, what it would be about, maybe end of term three, beginning of term four? It depends on the year. So there was one really bad year, which I think was grade one. Um, because Daylight Savings was the day before term four went back. And it was the first year that Jake was aware of Daylight Savings and he was angry at Daylight Savings existing. <laughs> like, basically, this kid, you know, who was already probably having a bit of trouble with the world making sense, had been told that an hour just disappeared <laughs> and time had changed on him. Um, and, like, that made no sense to him. And yet, basically, the... The rest of the year, he didn't really recover from the tiredness, like the probably the built up tiredness from the year, but also such a horrendous start to term four. Mm. But like prep, I think it happens to all kids towards the end of the year because sure. it is, it is a big thing. Like it, like after a couple of weeks, even like there's a lot of kids going, oh, we have to keep doing this. Like <laughs> this has been insane. Mm-hmm. I think grade two was better, but you did see, like, a drop-off. And it's quite common, like, for special needs kids, especially autistic kids, I think, to just, yeah, just be worn out by term four and just, like, backslide in behaviours or just not cope or just not learn as much. Mm. Um, And I think teachers in primary schools are aware. Like, the interesting thing between being a high school teacher and a primary school teacher is that a high school teacher, term four is probably the easiest term. Uh, Because, like, the year 12 stop, and the year 11 stop, and the year 10 stop. Um, And then, like, towards the end, sometimes you just have camps and activity days, and you take the kids to the movies. Whereas in primary school, term four is insane. Everything, like, in a... Yeah, in a primary school, it's Christmas parties, it's the Christmas carols... It's like finishing off all the reports, you know, all the kids are there till right at the end because there's no year 12s and 11s and 10s finishing early. It's just, it is a crazy term for primary schools and a really not crazy term for high school teachers. Mm. Um, But term three is probably crazier for the high school teachers and easier for the primary school teachers, though there's like no public holidays. So term three is long. (laughs) Um, In my first year of teaching, um, we had a five week like term one. So like every other term was so long. And when it's your first year teacher and you have an extra long term three, that is not fair. (laughs) (laughs) So I remember when I was um, doing my postgraduate diploma of psychological studies. So one of the things I did look at and learn about was actually IQ and the changing IQ across time. And it's a really interesting topic, but I won't go into all the details about it. But um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of correlation um, in why people would have higher IQs or things that make a difference to people's IQs. Uh, There's not a lot of causation proof because you can't really study a lot of these things in controlled environments. Uh, so a lot of it is guesswork and it can be hard to set, tell. But one of the things I found quite interesting when studying IQ was that there was a correlation. So there was actually a correlation between television watching and IQ. So actually more time watching television and higher IQ. Now, most likely these things, like the actual 
cause of the higher IQ is not watching television. Mm. Though some people made the argument that things like television, internet, sort of trained our brain to take in a lot of information really quickly. So some people do make that argument. I'm not as convinced. But the thing about there being a positive correlation between IQ and intelligence is that watching television is probably not making you dumber. Mm. Because then the other factors would have to be working really, really hard to overall make you smarter if television was actually making you dumber. So even though the cause of the IQ might be socioeconomic or access to schools or, in my personal opinion, but this is just an opinion, um, though it is based on some data, nutrition, mm. the, the television time is probably not making you dumber. Yeah. So I've never been as afraid of screen time as other parents. I think because I studied this before we had kids. Uh, so it's something I was already aware of. So I know a lot of parents do get worried about screen time. And I think it can be quite worrisome if the parents who are ha- afraid of... Well, worried about screen time, I'd probably say. End up with autistic children who really need that downtime. That sort of mental downtime or... All those things we talked about at the start about, you know, knowing you can achieve things or, like, the rules making sense. Mm. Like, even, like, in games like Civilization, not everything is predictable. There is a a certain level of variable about where you're going to be, what everyone else is going to do. But obviously it was enough that your sort of, your path overall would probably lead to success, doing a similar path. With some adaption. Mm. Um, so it's not a mindless thing, um, like possibly playing solitaire. Though I remember when I was younger, I used there used to be a game on my computer, which was pick up sticks, but like a digital one. I remember that. Yeah, I played um, that too. So you just click on a stick that's not covered by anything. Yeah. It was a very zen game. <laughs> mm. Because basically you, I think you'd always win eventually. <laughs> Whereas solitaire, sometimes you can't win. Mm. But yeah, I think... People worry about screen time and then they get a child who really needs that screen time. Um, and I think knowing both of us have needed the screen time, the kids have probably needed the screen time. As I think I've mentioned before, or if I haven't mentioned it before, I will eventually mention it. There was a point where Matt clearly needed to nap lo- like later than other kids and was using the nap to recover from getting through the first half of the day. Um, and we just sort of discovered this when he we forced him to stop napping. But yeah, so I think if you're worried about screen time and your child needs it, it can create a lot of um, tension issues um, and parents can freak out about it. So I generally try to advise parents as much as I try to advise anyone that they probably shouldn't worry too much about screen time because people do people do get worried about it. But the data is that it's probably not making your child dumber by having screen time. There are obviously other factors contributing into this concern about screen time, but a lot of them are more focused on iPads particularly. So vision d- difficulty, mm-hmm. so you know vision impairment, blue light stuff, um, but also the um, sort of the, the flexion of the neck, so the constantly looking down, which an entire generation is having problems with that because of mobile phones more so than than iPads. Yeah. You know, so there is some argument to that, but once again, it's not about eliminating or eradicating screen time. It's about finding ways to make it functional and balancing it out. 
out a little bit as well. Yeah. But also, I think the, the posture and the eyesight thing are actually arguments that were at one point made about books. Yeah, I remember you telling me about yeah, that. Like yeah, they, like, people were like... You don't don't let them read that much. Like it'll ruin their eyesight because they're looking at books all the time. They've got their nose in a book. It'll mm-hmm. ruin their eyesight. And maybe that's why we got a stereotype that smart people wear glasses. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, my eyesight went through some interesting um, transitions around screens, um, which was that during my during my uni years, I worked in an office looking at a computer screen, and my eyes deteriorated. And then I finished uni and became a teacher and as a teacher I spent a lot of time looking at students and looking at things and the exercise of my eyes actually improved my eyes and I went from having glasses for when I very rarely needed them to not using them for many many years and then I only really like my eyes did eventually deteriorate but the teaching instead of being an office probably gave my eyes like a few extra years in there. Mm. Those, you know, four or five years of not looking at screens. But the thing is, most jobs, like you are looking at screens. Like if you're a primary school teacher or a high school teacher, you look at screens sometimes, but you look at people. Um, And maybe if you're a factory worker, but then maybe if you're looking at the same conveyor belt enough that your eyes would probably also drain. So there's a lot of things that can probably cause problems with eyesight. Including books, probably. Yeah. And screens. The books don't have blue light, Mm. so that is a bit different. Yep. I think part of it also is I think you have to trust your child to... Or or either trust or teach your child about the idea of moderation. Mm Because moderation is an important philosophy in everything that you do, right? And so... With with Matt and Jake, we do try to encourage the kids to have a bit of imaginative play sometimes, or say it's a bit of screen time away, or if they're going to look at screens just to focus on a distant screen, which I think, as I understand it, does overcome some of the eyesight issues that come yeah, with screen Yeah, stop on your iPad and look at this television. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it, Or, like, you know, if we weren't in lockdown, I might take them out for lunch, and so mm. we'd just be out and about doing things. So there's always, there's always things you can do to try and moderate it. I remember when the kids were much younger... Uh, we we over-prepared for, with craft supplies because we were hoping that maybe by having them we could encourage the kids to be creative. And they did a little bit of creative stuff, went off it, but they'd only last a few minutes before getting unbelievably bored by it. So we've got like a cupboard full of craft supplies that are sitting there doing nothing, which you really should donate to someone, but you know, laziness. Every now and then is a school project though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, again, it's, it's about balance. And even the kids, I think, are learning to self-regulate. And they, they get sick of it sometimes. They get sick of the screens. They're like, okay, I'd rather do something else or go yeah. see something or go out. And... Or play the soft toys. They are they are pretty good at playing the soft toys at yeah. some stage. Yeah. And then we also, we don't really have screens during dinner. They do a lot of after-school or... extracurriculars too, mm. which are not screen-based. So karate and gymnastics and soccer and other things just to balance it out and it's part of their schedule and they enjoy it like we, yeah. st- we still we don't we don't force them into it we check in with them to make sure they're still having fun and if they're still having fun they can do it if they don't want to do it then that's okay uh, look and look maybe we're lucky maybe that's maybe that's another key thing is that we're lucky we have kids who who are hmm, I don't want to say compliant but compliant is the word I'm thinking of uh, who are they willing- are well behaved kids yeah yeah but willing to let us dictate at least a little bit of what they do mm-hmm. um, but at the same time there, I think I think our kids and 
and I think we've made the effort to focus on the idea of moderation, but also explaining our philosophy, being able to say, all right, well, this is why we want you to play a bit more with your soft toys. This is why I want to go out a bit more. This is why we don't want you using your screen so much. So they they will understand what they understand of it. And hopefully as we keep repeating it, they'll understand just a little bit more and then eventually learn to incorporate that into their own thinking. Yes. And also, I think if we were too hard on it, we'd be hypocrites. Yes, absolutely. Because <laughs> as you said, we are both avid gamers. And TV watchers. Well, that's mostly me, really. But yes. Can't... But I watch TV with you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, would, it would be massive hypocrisy. And again, when you are raising a child with autism, hypocrisy is a very difficult thing to understand. Because if you lay down one rule and then don't follow that rule yourself... Um, it, it leads to a lot of confusion and frustration and sometimes anxiety because then they're like, well, which which is the truth? Do I follow the rule or do I not follow the rule? Yeah. And also, I think we have to acknowledge that our children are aged, not teenagers. And things may change. Yes. We may get to a point where we have to worry about video game obsession. I, I did see a very interesting thing discussing the fact that there's no such thing as video game addiction. It's actually video game obsession, which is a very technical psychological <laughs> difference. Mm. But it can be an important thing, because it's not actually an addiction. But I think one of the things that I've heard from older autistic people, um, and I've taken on myself, is if a child appears to have video game obsession, you don't target the obsession. You try to work out what's gone wrong. Mm. Like, you try to go, okay, so this kid has a video game obsession. Something in their life is probably not going well. So yelling at them or just saying you're not allowed to play video games is not going to solve the actual cause, is a symptom. So I think that it's important that even if you do get to a point where it is maladaptive behavior, that you have to look for the cause, not punish the symptom. Yeah, I agree with that entirely. I mean, mm. my, my day-to-day work is basically about talking to carers and telling them to stop just expecting your, you know, autistic client or child over to simply behave because you think they should behave, but look at why they're doing the behavior in the first place. So if they're hitting themselves on the head, does it mean they have a headache? Does it mean that they're upset? Why are they upset? What could it potentially, if it's a new behavior, what does it mean? Don't just go, stop hitting your head, stop hitting your head, because that's not the solution, really. You get much more effect out of actually treating the cause. Um... I think that there's a similar philosophy to uh, drug addiction as well. Obviously, you deal with the drug addiction in and of itself, but at the same time, if there's underlying depression, if there's underlying anxiety, or as I'm coming across a lot in my work, if there's undiagnosed ADD, where they're self-medicating with stimulants and kind and they're kind of recognizing, they they say, oh, stimulants is the only thing that makes me feel calm. Well, then you kind of think, all right, that's saying something. There's a reason for that. Yeah. What does that mean? What is the so is so rather than saying stop doing drugs, why are you taking drugs? Are you avoiding something emotionally? Are you self medicating for something? Like you, you, you want to look at the underlying cause. And I think even the that. term self medicating is I I like that term. Hmm. Um, like I prefer that term to addiction. Hmm. Um, because I think in most cases people are self medicating. Like if you think about veterans who drink they're mm. probably self-medicating to some degree mm. they're probably treating PTSD with alcohol mm. so I think in most cases it probably is um, self-medicating maybe if 
they're at a party, they did something, and then they got addicted. It's not self-medicating, but it depends on it, why people get addicted. But ultimately, a lot of these psychological issues come down to two things. One is cultural acceptance, and two is level of dysfunction. Mm. So, you know, pl- alcohol is a legal drug. You know, but we don't ban all alcohol, A, because it probably wouldn't work, but also B, because... And we've tried. <laughs> yes, we've tried. Um, but we only get concerned about it when it leads to safety risks, whether it's safety to the individual or safety of the people around them. And yeah. that's when it becomes problematic. But, you know, someone having a glass of wine every night is considered perfectly normal, even though, really, A, do you really need it? And B, why are you really doing it? Mm-hmm. Um, but gaming is one of those interesting things where people look at gaming as either an immaturity thing Mm-hmm. Um, or like a sign of immaturity or a sign of maladaption. And you're like, well, no, it's just, it's just another coping tool. And there are reasons behind the coping tool. Um, or there are reasons that people get benefit out of that particular coping tool. But again, it's all about how you look at it and what your, what society and culture expects of you of being of a person of a certain age in a certain society. Yeah. And you can say that, you know, wanting to be entertained as a coping tool in any way. Like going to a movie or going to stand up or, you know, going to the theatre. If, yeah, it's like, and it's fine. Like we all need entertainment. There's not, there's no judgment on that. Mm. Um, But in a way, maybe we should just go, if you're only, like, if your motivation is to be entertained, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm. You just find something that entertains you, even a book. Yeah, exactly. Everyone's got their thing, but it's just about acceptability. At least the way I see it. Um, as a final point, while we were talking, I looked it up. The creator of Pokemon, his name is Satoshi Tajiri. So, for anyone who hadn't already Googled it by the time we got to the end of this episode, now you know a little bit more. So, if you ever read a trivia night and that question comes up, you've got your answer. So, I think that's probably a good place to end it. Yeah, probably. Uh, Thanks for listening. If you have a different opinion, if you want to talk about what game brings you comfort and makes you feel good, uh, or if you have an opinion about screen time, let us know. Find us on Facebook at The Atypical Rainbow. Uh, On Instagram, feel free to send us a message or post up a photo if you want to share your, you know, calming gaming experience. And we hope you uh, seek us out the next time you need to be entertained. Thanks very much, and we'll talk to you next time.